to have you back, uh, Andrew Perez, friends of the show. And this time I mean it. Normally when I say that, I'm just doing a little bit of a joke. Like I'll go, oh, Barack Obama, friend of the show. Uh, <laughs> but this time I, I actually mean it, Andrew. You are a friend of the show. You've been on twice already. I think that's the most anyone has been on the show who's not me. Um, last time you were on, it was a talk about CPAC. And you survived CPAC. You survived 2019, <laughs> ideally. Uh, and yeah. now you're here to talk about your new work, which is over at your new place of employment, the Democratic Policy Center. Did I get that right? I wouldn't say it's a place of employment at the moment. It's more of a it's it's, it's sort of a passion project for all those involved until uh, until we manage to raise enough money to, you know, have it have it be a job. But we're you know, we're working on it. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit, tell us, you know, me and John or John and I rather, as well as listeners, a little bit about this new project of yours. Because I know you're working alongside uh, David Sirota, a longtime friend of the show. And yeah. obviously we've been we've been wondering what he's been up to since the end of the Bernie campaign. So why don't you tell us a little about this new project? Yeah, well, so with with, with Sirota, I, I actually am editing his newsletter, um, the TMI Too Much Information newsletter on Substack. So I'm, I'm like the editor of it and I contribute, uh, like one, one story a week. Um, that's, that's sort of what I'm doing there. And then, but yeah, so the democratic policy center, I'm working with a couple other friends. Um, and the, the kind of purpose behind it is we want it to be sort of like a, a war room for progressive policy, for left policy to push, um, you know, solutions that we think are important and also to just cut, cut through the bullshit. We want to fight, corporate influence, you know, as best we can and to, to really kind of challenge democratic policymakers to, you know, not just do better, but do do a lot fucking better. Yeah, there's a lot of room for improvement there. <laughs> I mean, obviously there is, because when we had David Dayen on last time, we were talking about uh, essentially the House Democrats, the Senate Democrats, you know, more or less capitulating on coronavirus relief in favor of, you know, bailout lobbyists and trade groups, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, there's been a lot, lot wrong with the first kind of few efforts um, to, to handle the coronavirus. Um, but, you know, the, the thing we've really been kind of spotlighting is there's in the in the latest bill that was just uh, just passed the House, there's this pretty like radical provision in it to open up the, the, the PPP program, the Paycheck Protection Program, um, which is like a forgivable loan program. Um, and they want to open it up to all nonprofits, um, and they want to create like a kind of special fund for nonprofits with less than 500 employees, which, you know, maybe doesn't sound crazy, but like, it's, a, it's actually a lot of employees for a nonprofit. Um, you know, I used to work for a nonprofit, there were like 20 people. Um, and that was, that was a, you know, pretty, pretty normal operation. Um, and so what what we found was that um you know if you look at D a lot of a lot of dc lobbying groups are are organized as nonprofits as trade associations um and the, the whole kind of purpose of a group like that it is to advance business interests like to either like a certain business uh, type or like a line of line of you know interest within within like across companies um, and so they're, you know, they're, they're corporate trade associations is what they're known. They're really just lobbying groups. They're just, you know, pure influence machines. And, um, you know, right, that, that's sort of been the impetus behind this whole push, too, has been to allow trade associations into, into the PPP. And, you know, what, what we found was it would allow, like, basically most massive D.C. lobbying organizations in, like, 
including like the U.S. Chamber. Jesus, um, really? Yeah, yeah, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, uh, pharma, you uh-huh. know, the drug lobby, the, the the health insurance lobby. It wouldn't just let them in. Like any any nonprofits allowed, but they they'd literally be called small nonprofits. Like they they would be allowed into a fund designed for small nonprofits. Um, so you know they the, the whole kind of like window dressing on this is that like you know local chambers need help, but it, it, it would you'd actually be setting up a scenario where the big the really big guys could just raid the fund completely it's it's yeah i mean like i was just looking up uh trying to figure out how many employees dentons has like put towards lobbying and wondering if they would qualify you know like there are so many groups in washington who uh, would probably qualify for this who don't only do lobbying for major corporations which already are getting bailed out so it's kind of like these people are these are not groups that are going to see like a payroll reduction during this time period because these corporate groups are spending assloads of money to lobby Congress right now. So none of them are looking at layoffs because they're all running individually to like call Nancy Pelosi and make sure that their their portion of tax repeal gets put into the COVID uh, Heroes Act, you know? So it, it's just, it's so blatantly corrupt in, in like these groups donate to politicians. They lobby politicians to get what corporations want put into law. And now they're getting bailed out by the same corporate, uh, the same people that are basically writing all the bills for the corporations. It's fucking bleak. Yeah, I mean it's it's pretty crazy, you know. When you think about like what's what's been in, you know, what else is in the stimulus bill? You know, we're we're not talking about like Medicare or Medicaid expansion, like you know, to cover all the people who just lost their their health insurance and in to cover the people who already who were already uninsured, and you know, who who are pretty pretty thoroughly screwed in this pandemic um you know the, instead we're talking about um putting everyone through cobra well through the through the people who would be eligible for cobra they're, they're going to fund that which is a really expensive way to give people health care and it's not going to cover everyone by any means um so you know that's something that like the insurance industry wants and something that like other big trade associations representing like hospitals and doctors they want that too it's way it's way better for them than than getting paid at like medicare or medicaid rates right it's it's way more lucrative um so you know they're already like really dictating the conversation pretty thoroughly including the other big like wish list item for for the the trade associations in dc in general right now is is the whole idea of like a of a total you know the liability shield, the idea that like people should that that companies need immunity. Oh yeah, that pisses me off. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah, it's awful. It's it's crazy. Yeah, companies need immunity so that uh, in case like their customers and workers get you know get corona. Um, so that's you know that's that like could be in this bill. So so the trade associations are like thoroughly dictating policy as much or more than than they ever have before. And yeah, they need a big bailout right now too. They they need this free money for sure. It's crazy. You know, I mean, it, it's absolutely crazy. You know what that reminds me of? There was this clip going around. I don't know if you saw it, Andrew. Uh, from the, pulled from the five thirty eight. So Nate Silver's uh, or ESPN's uh, website <laughs> podcast. They have an episode or the newest episodes on conspiracy theories and all in relation to COVID nineteen. And you know, they have this guy on it, uh, conspiracy theory researcher Joseph. Uchinsky, sorry, I didn't read his full title, political scientist and conspiracy theory researcher. I'm only one of those things, a conspiracy theory researcher, in case you're wondering. <laughs> um, and he gets on there, I don't know if you've seen the clip, but the gist of the clip is that there's no such thing as the 1%. You know, you can't open up any textbook and find out that the entire, 
you know, economy exists to serve the moneyed elite, this very, very small fraction of the population. And, you know, obviously we know that, you know, at its core false, right? We can, we can debate some of the, the, the nuances of what that means, whether it's an open conspiracy or whether it's just like a bunch of people who happen to have incredibly wealthy aligned interests working towards those interests and seeming, you know, creating what appears to be a conspiracy just by nature of that. But like, the very idea of that you can go on to, I would argue, an ostensibly serious political podcast and argue that the government of you know America, the entire world, the economy, does not function to serve the interests of a very, very small subset of the population. Even as we are in the middle of a pandemic, while, like, as, you, as you both mentioned, the Democratic Party, the left party has more or less abdicated responsibility for taking care of the working class, you know, their quote unquote base in favor of bailing out lobbyists and bailing out pharmaceutical lobbyists and, you know, other multi-billion dollar companies. It's, 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 it's just, I, I wonder as somebody, you know, Andrew, you are not me, someone who like a lot of your work has to do with like dark money and the way dark money, you know, flows into various institutions to shape outcomes, whether they be courts or, you know, governments or, or Congress or whatever, like, how do you find the kind of discourse surrounding money's role in politics, you know, being, you know, corrupting or being uh, manipulating sort of like the flow of democracy? And I, by that, I mean, sorry to keep talking, but by that, I mean, like, do you find yourself frustrated sometimes by, uh, I would argue, like a political media class that kind of treats the, you know, the dark money angle of politics with, uh, the, with the veil of conspiracy? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I, in my last kind of year in media, I got to, I got to do a little more uh, media criticism than I had before. And I, I started going to the big lobbying groups to cover their events. And yeah, there'd be all these big name journalists there, <laughs> like not just like hanging out, but like they, they were like up on stage getting paid to be there to, to, to do like, like basically sort of like special Sunday style, you know, like Sunday show style bullshit. Like, I watched Bob Woodward speak to the health insurance lobby, to America's health insurance plans in Nashville. Like, you know, Bob Woodward, the, the Washington Post, like, Watergate reporter. Like, that's 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 how normalized, like, the rot is in D.C., like, in, in the media class. Like, and, you know, he wasn't, like, the only one. Like, I, I saw, like, Robert Costa from the Washington Post give, like, a special luncheon conversation that was just specifically for lobbyists at the American Hospital Association. And, you know, we, we like went through and covered a lot more like episodes of this. And, and I, I, I don't know, I just found it really, really stunning. Like, yeah, I, I read your article on that. And I, I, the thing that I was wondering, like, that was just some of the events that you went to what's going on elsewhere, right? Like, how many of these people are getting paid like six figures to go give a speech to 50 people that's not at a convention, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we were able to find like the the trade association meetings, like, because those are often just kind of public. But I mean, you know, if you consider like, back in 2016, everyone loved talking about Hillary Clinton speaking fees. And, you know, they had to make that list public. And yeah, it was a whole bunch of like like trade associations, but also like corporate board meetings that like, yeah, no, you and I would never see that agenda. Like I, I would never find it. It's not public. 
but it's treated sort of like an open secret that you're not allowed to comment on, right? Like, I remember, I recall 2016, because it's always going to be 2016, so it's very easy <laughs> to recall. Uh, yeah, that, like, forever and ever. It's going to be 2016 till the end of time. Uh, but, you know, I recall criticisms like that being lobbed by Hillary Clinton at the time of the 2016 election. That, hey, you know, you're taking all this money from lobbyist groups, you're taking all this money from various special interests. Now, what does that mean about your commitment to the people, right, the working class? Like, if, like, Because these two camps are diametrically opposed. We talk about that all the time. Like, you know, unfortunately for the Democratic Party, they have a hard time sort of squaring the circle between their two, the two poles of their base, which is like the money elites and like the working class. And they often choose to talk to the latter while serving the former. Yeah, I hope oh, yeah. that was. I hope that hope that was order was right. Uh, but you know what I mean. Um, and so, but like when you talk about it, like when you talk about like, hey, well, Hillary Clinton takes money from these particular organizations, uh, so it seems likely that that she might be beholden to them, or she might see, you know, look to work favorably towards uh, towards their benefit. Uh, like that's treated as though it's like it's either taboo or conspiracy. Like that, that very thought is just not within the realm of acceptable discourse. The Hunter Biden thing is another example of that, I would argue. Yeah, no, I mean, look, it's it's a problem. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, like just want to do, throw one example out there that I always found to be like hysterical was, you know, whenever we were criticizing the speeches in 2016, what they pointed to was, well, she talked to the campground association. What could she possibly have given them? And then you look into it and it's like, oh yeah, she was expanding H1 visas so that they can employ foreigners at half the rate that they would have to pay Americans. It's like, well, what the fuck? Yeah, no, it's so, it's so true. That's the thing is all these trade associations, like that's what they do. Like the, the, the campgrounds, the whatever, like the American camping association. Yeah. They, they lobby for like certain business interests. And what, the, what that's going to mean is that they're lobbying to make it easier to bring foreigners on visas so they don't have to pay people shit big camp there's a big camp yeah there's there's big everything there's like an american like pet food manufacturers like council there's 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 like any, any different type of like any any different type of business interest you can think of there's like a a special c6 for them it's crazy i mean i can i can think of a lot of in, a lot of industries that require uh lobbying uh but I don't want to. I don't want to just start sort of nicknaming off big blanks until we get to a, a problematic <laughs> word by accident. Um, I, I can't. I can't afford. I can't afford any. I, I honestly thought he was going to go with a barefoot rights joke there. No, I've used the big foot joke before. It's not. It doesn't. It doesn't play twice. You can only use it once. Uh, from my perspective, like what you're saying is true, right? Obviously, like lobbyist groups are you know ubiquitous in in Washington uh, to various degrees of legality, as we know. Right. It, it's it's just such a weird position, I think, when you to, because it's not something that's often talked about uh, in mainstream political commentary. Like I very, very rarely uh, outside of the intercept in your work occasionally, like see articles that are looking to investigate like the money behind, you know, getting a few key judges elected to a few key seats around you know America. Right. That kind of work doesn't seem like it's being done very often. And I wonder why that is outside of, you know, just not a conspiracy to not an active conspiracy to protect the class power there, but just like, well, I, I'd like to speak to this, though. One second. I'm sorry to interrupt, but like, you know, Laffer, the senator who got caught doing insider trading before COVID, like her poll numbers now dropped 30 points. She was the leader in her upcoming race, and now she's 30 points behind her challenger because of the fact that everyone found out about insider trading. So what I see is like this actually is popular with people when they know about this kind of reporting, and yet you never see it on MSNBC, you never see it on CNN, you never see it on Fox. And I just like 
Brandon want to know why. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I guess there's, there's a whole lot of reasons, you know, I think, I think, yeah, there's the class interest thing. Like, you know, it, it does the corporate media, does like the really big corporate media really want to investigate? Like it's, you know, it's boys, like probably not. Um, but then, I mean, you, you look like elsewhere and, you know, it's, it's a lot cheaper at a lot of media outlets to have people whose job is to just, you know, bang out content, to just aggregate shit, just write nothing. Um, so it's a whole lot cheaper than, sorry. I don't want, I don't want, I don't want to come down too hard on people who bang out content because I bang out content. Chrissy Teigen bangs out content and nothing (laughs) makes you, and nothing makes you more sensitive than just like being a content farm. Let me tell you that, but please continue your point. Yeah. Well, it's it's a lot cheaper to, to have like the content farm than than investigative reporters. It's because, you know, it's it's something like most most reporters aren't investigative reporters aren't publishing with the same frequency. And it's, you know, you might even have to pay some money for some research. It's just, you know, it's it's a lot harder. And, and you, you, the clicks probably are going to be lower, too. It's just it's just the, the incentives in media are pretty, pretty off at the moment in, in, in a million ways. Yeah, I remember back in your you, when you were working with Sorota in 2016 when you first came on my radar when you were at what IB Times, right? Yeah. And I remember some of, reading some of those pieces and being like, you know, this is very well researched. This is very very well laid out, and like especially on things like Honduras and free trade agreements in South and Central America. And I'm just looking at all of this, going, why the fuck isn't this national news? And like, even if it's not, even if they're not going to pick up and like you said, aggregate from this, why is it that nobody has anyone? from these national syndicates going to any of these places to look this stuff up like right when the panama papers came out why didn't the new york times send somebody down who knew anything about banking to go look into that even further or even better when you know we had all of these wikileaks things why was it that the new york times didn't have someone combing through these things on a daily basis to find stuff when it was twitter people who were finding and making popular individual emails like the public and private position email from hillary like the the proliferation of haircuts on television versus actual journalists, like you said, it's cheaper, but there has to be more to it than that because otherwise, like, you know, there's no hope to change it. I wonder how much of it is just that, you know, in, in like looking back on the things that get me labeled the conspiracy theorists online, uh, uh, a title that I take or I don with immense, immense pride because that just means that I'm a truth seeker and, <laughs> you know, my dedication to the truth has not gone unnoticed by the sheep. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just putting out that I'm not, I'm not afraid of these people. They might bob, but what are they going to do? Uh, I guess my question is like, how much of it I wonder is, you know, rooted as well in not only like obviously the sort of core protecting class interest, but the sort of veneer of propriety and civility and manners that sort of comes within our, that sort of has a high level of importance in our political media especially on like the sort of center-left democratic line side and by that i mean like there does seem to be a resistance towards just putting out information that will implicate the morality or like the the ideals of democratic party as an example you can't necessarily prove that if hillary clinton takes money or if joe biden takes money from big pharma that they will you know, let's say vote along lines with, you know, big pharmaceutical companies. You can't necessarily prove that. But that information, once out there, would lead the average person, the average voter, the average, you know, Joe Schmo on the street to think about, like, to assume that you would, right? That's the implication of taking that money, right? And 
it seems as though our media has understood like the hey yeah it looks very sketchy for people to take this money it looks very sketchy for pete Buttigieg to be in league with shadow inc and so this information the implications of it we don't like it and so we're kind of we're going to kind of bury that because like it's rude to imply that these people are doing untoward things uh and as so you know let's not even put that out there to, in the minds of like the people if that makes any sense yeah yeah i mean there, i think there's like two things at play there which is yeah there's you know there's like the civility and decorum issue and i think I mean, in part, like I'll say, I, I do think it's sort of used as a shield. Like, I think it's used as a shield to to ward off criticism from the left, like very specifically. Um, you know, it's not it's not like the media outlets really have any like, you know, they're all happy to cash in on Trump, like uh, on Trump's, you know, cruelty and just be, being an overall dick. Um, you know, I think I think they're happy to happy to cash in and that it, it, it draws viewers in. But um I mean, look, you know, the, the truth is, like, big media does, you know, drug companies are, like, the number one advertiser across, like, all these media outlets, especially, especially, like, they, you know, cable news. It's, 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 it's all old. It's true. Watching it. It's absolutely true. I didn't realize this until, like, I haven't had cable in years, and this is, sorry to interrupt you, but this is important to me, um, if no one else. I haven't had cable in years, and for the first time, I like just turned on like no cable because like, I have it with my apartment now, and I just put on like Lifetime, and every other <laughs> cha- every other commercial in the Lifetime channel is for a pharmaceutical, like literally every other commercial mm-hmm. is for, uh, you know, in uh experimental treatment for multiple sclerosis or you know or cystic fibrosis or any number of like you know maladies or geared towards like older women like you say like they're geared towards like an older female demographic uh but like it's every commercial it's like if you were to watch lifetime movies you would think the only people who like watch lifetime movies like like, all they do is like treat their like uh ovarian cysts and like eat probiotic yogurt that's like those are their only two hobbies besides (laughs) watching besides watching lifetime i don't know if tv if all tv is like that but like on certain channels it's overwhelming yeah, yeah. There's there's a ton of it. I, I think it's I think it's like across all all the networks really. Um, and you know, I mean, I guess sort of related is, you know, b- big, big, uh, big industry like doesn't just pay that way. They also run they run TV ads too. Like they run campaigns against Medicare for all, against you know, like campaigns to prop up to to make it look like oil companies are your friend and are you know really. You know, working the working to you know help build a better future. That, um, that's a good point. It's 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 lucrative. No, I I can imagine that's a good point though, and it's one that I think is worth highlighting. Just going back to the Medicare for All one, because that was one of the frustrating parts of the primary process when it came to like Medicare for All and the language surrounding it and people pulling pulling back from it and like and then like the various dips and uh, <coughs> rises in public. Yeah, no, but I'm mean, I'm speaking more specifically to like the various. Uh, dips and wanes in, like public support for Medicare for all, which you can tie to Elizabeth Warren, but like the media pre- like presented these shifts in support for Medicare for all, and this goes back to what I'm saying of obscuring the cause or obscuring the implications of yeah. these things. Like they fra- like they sort of like frame these shifts in like you know or like drops in support for Medicare for all as though they were organically happening, as though like people just woke up one day mm-hmm. and suddenly decided they didn't they didn't want health care. Like when in reality we know there are multi billion dollar campaigns from pharmaceutical companies from health insurance companies from private hospitals 
so from any number of like sort of uh stakeholder or someone whose bottom line relies on the health insurance industry that is they're actively going out and, by those people yeah they're actively going out and propagandizing against it like they're like and so you know as you would imagine the media's job would to be like would to say like hey you know what we have these companies who are out there who are propagandizing against medicare for all but like that like that aspect of it became just entirely erased along with just like the people in the media who were also just like poo-pooing it all the time. Like that aspect of shaping public's opinion or shaping the institution was just entirely erased from the conversation. We were just expectedly, oh, well, people just no longer like it for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. The way you see it reflected is like the the TV host rather than asking, you know, like, what about, you know, what are you going to do to make sure that everyone in this country has health care? They say, how are you going to pay for it? You know, and it's it's questions that are that are like, you know, it's the industry's like preferred messages, like really, really get picked up and, and, and phrased as questions to politicians. And, you know, one of the funny things is like I, you know, I, I've worked with um, for, for a couple months, I was working for a Medicare for all coalition um, and we were we were specifically trying to push like to, to try to influence media coverage, to, to make it just, you know, more favorable, to try to play stories about industry. And I, I actually think we had a lot of a lot a lot of success in that I, I think we really kind of helped change some of the narrative, more in print than than TV. But you know, if you look at the actual exit polling from from the primaries, and this this is both encouraging and disheartening, um, in every in every single state uh, Medicare for all was above water and the, in the exit polls were specifically asking people, not just like, do you support Medicare for all? They were asking, do you support replacing all private health insurance with a single government plan, which is, you know, very literal. The, one of the industry arguments has always been, you know, people don't like Medicare for all when they, when they know what it is, but that's actually quite, it's, it's bullshit because literally when people were asked, like pretty precisely what what the idea behind Medicare for all is they they were in favor of, of it in every state and in some states it was like 60% or more 60-70% like in I live in Maine now it was like 65% here or something in Texas it was like over 60% of democrats yeah it was it. the places where Joe Biden now, actually did the best that it pulled the lowest which i found to be like an interesting corollary too not really i think it makes a lot of sense that the people who most like are most willing to vote for joe biden also want to die the most that makes right, that, no i, I <laughs> <laughs> that is a completely you know just on like the back of a napkin math that like that all adds up to me but please go ahead well, well so one thing andrew that um i've talked about on the show is like my experience knocking doors through this election was that there was a plethora of people who did not support bernie sanders who supported other people in the race and when i asked them about medicare for all they all thought their candidate was for medicare for all except for the amy klobuchar fans so like all of the the biden <laughs> i didn't really talk to any biden people but all the pete Buttigieg people i talked to and all of the um camilla like all the groups of elizabeth warren they all thought that their candidates were staunchly for medicare for all yeah i mean with with pete it probably makes sense you know he literally was using a plan with medicare for all in the name even though it was deceptive as hell medicare for all who want it um but okay, so one thing I want to mention though is is like as the primary went on, Joe Biden won a shit ton of states where people said they they like were seventy percent of Democrats said they support Medicare for all or support single payer, including like you know states like Mississippi, like like states you know that that like are not liberal states by any means. Like it it was it still polls well there, and it's pro it probably has something to do with the fact that like you know 
people's own experience with with the healthcare in like states like Texas and Mississippi must suck. I mean, I don't live there, thank God, but you know, if you live in a state that didn't expand Medicaid and you're and you're poor, like you're real fucked um, under the current system. So there's 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 a lot of <clears throat> so that's why I was saying it's somewhat disheartening is that like you know a lot of what it shows you is like I guess a lot of people didn't prioritize healthcare or single payer like in their in their votes, but I guess you know it shows to me that there is like a sort of you know latent base there that we that we like can can try to activate, try to make sure that they prioritize you know trying to get to universal health care sooner than later yeah i mean i would like to think that we're going to work towards universal health care as well but it seems as though the democratic party you know in their ever expanding wisdom has decided to marry themselves to a combination of cobra and obamacare uh cobra care uh <laughs> which is you know it's probably yeah probably not what you want to sell to the people but it is, you know, it sounds like some sort of evangelical snake handling type of situation, but it is what it is. Uh, it it seems to like they, you know, going back to sort of the, like, you know, where, like, their interests lie and who, who they truly serve, you know, they seem more or less happy to ride out the uh, pandemic, hoping people don't get too comfortable on, you know, the government's dime, right? And so, I mean, I wonder, you know, how often, how like, how long we can actually wait and especially in an environment where people are not necessarily being given all the tools necessary to make the connections they need to be made, right? Because I think that's my, you know, going back to, you know, speaking of specifically Medicare for all, you know, that to me is the perfect analogy for this because people pretend in their heads that like going, again, Pete Buttigieg's, you know, uh, I trust Americans to choose, to choose their own health care or I trust Americans <laughs> to decide whatever or be able to like do their own surgery or whatever bullshit he was on uh yeah which seems like a fucking decade ago now when he was saying that black money groups are funding sanders campaign to charlemagne the god <laughs> that's when we should have had you on again we could have made a black money millionaires joke and you know it's too late now but it would have been funny back then uh but no i mean like that to me i think speaks to this dynamic well as too because it comes down to like People are not in the situation of healthcare. It's like people are being told they can choose to like negotiate their way to victory over a healthcare company. And it's just like, oh yeah, if you have a claim that the healthcare company denies because they say that you had dental surgery and the scarring led to your heart disease, and so they're not going to cover your heart surgery. So now you're in a blah blah blah. It's like that you can overcome that with like grit and hard work or whatever. But like I think what people don't understand, like the average person is not being given the tools to understand, is that there is an antagonistic force on the other side of that, right? I think for, and this is why it comes down to like the, you know, the one person also comes down to the 1% and the argument that they don't exist or have a, a set of interests that are radically divergent. And is that like the, because we're not being told about the money going to politics, because we're not being told about the various special interest groups who are funding, you know, various campaigns, it's an asymmetric war. There are actual people who are out there who are funding like psyops to convince you to not like something that will save your life. And you don't even, you're not even allowed to know that they exist because people in the media are inclined to obscure their existence from you. Whether you're talking about healthcare, Medicare for all, you know, or any number of issues, like for people to even begin to sort of overcome that, they have to even know that they're fighting an enemy out there who that has uh, a counter position to them, which, which is that you don't deserve healthcare. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, that's, that's like the thing about all these ads, like one of the, one of the other common uh, attack, attack lines against Medicare for all is that 
you know, the, the government's, you know, do you really want a government bureaucrat like in between you and your doctor? Like right now there is a bureaucrat in between you and your doctor. They just work for an insurance company and they have every fucking incentive in the world to deny your care. Like that's, that's literally denial of care equals profit. Like that's, that's where the profit is generated. <laughs> um, and like, yeah, they, ha they have like insurance companies have like armies of like nurses and doctors who are instead of instead of providing people health care they work for an insurance company and like have to sit there and like figure out who to, de to deny like it's and and yeah i mean that's in you know they're they're all these just really really deceptive ad campaigns that get run out of front groups that are funded by trade associations that are funded by you know corporate america by big by big corporate interests like big hospitals big doctors big big insurance companies drug companies and you know in a million a million doctor specialists too like all those specialists you know they they all have an interest in preventing changes to the system because you know it's profitable right now it's very profitable right and I, like one of the things i find interesting is like wendell porter is a good example or is it potter is it Porter? Potter. Potter is a good example of like what we're talking about exactly because here's a person who's an expert on the exact tactics we're talking about and they never have him on television or in the news. Yeah. Well, so, okay. So I used to, I worked a little bit with Wendell and we, we, we helped get him on TV a little, little more, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's actually funny though, too, like getting with him on TV over the past few months when he's on TV, the like hosts all agree. Like, and it, it seems like there's even been like some, some like, tiny bit of radicalizing of like msnbc hosts where like you know i think i think like you know they, they get to bring their kid to the doctor and they're just like why i think it was katie tur was like why do i need a health insurance card for my baby you know like it's it's just there's a lot of i think when people have to go through the system they realize it sucks it it sucks for everyone it, it the only people who are really really insulated are like the mega rich but like anyone can get bankrupted by by a health insurance but or by by needing to get health well, I mean, services, not, not anyone. At least up until millions well, of dollars. Well, I mean, not it, no, I'm sorry. sorry, not anyone. Only Americans can be bankrupted by health insurance claims. Only technically only Americans. But I mean, I think that you're right. I mean, and it's like, and I think that you're right because like the information once you have it is so compelling, and it it doesn't even require so many. It doesn't even, it doesn't even really require any real sort of like nuanced thinking or like uh, research or I mean, not that you shouldn't research, you know, do that research, but like a lot of like these things like, Oh yeah. Why do I need to have a health insurance card for my baby can be, can be gleaned through just like navigating that system, navigating the, like the red tape, navigating the inefficiencies, navigating the profit motives that are antithetical to your own health. Like that can all be seen just from glean, like, glean from like trying to get health care. And it's only by obscuring just how inefficient and just how, uh, essentially radical our healthcare system is in the developed world can it can, can it can continue and part of concealing that is concealing the moneyed interests that are benefiting and continuing to perpetuate that system and also just you know concealing that you have like you have an adversary I, like i said i think that that's a good, good you know the health insurance company that hires a claim denier someone who didn't you know essentially reviews your claims just with the purpose of trying to deny it a la saw 6 or the incredibles it, most people don't even realize that there is a guy on the other side of them who like 
all they do all day is figure out ways to deny you your claim. It's like it's like that's not their hobby. That's not their part time after work uh, activity. That's not their you know their favorite podcast. It's their forty hour week job, and you'll never in your free time beat that person. <laughs> You're like you you just won't. And that dynamic also exists in other arenas in life, and it exists in politics. That like there's just a guy on the other end of you who all they do or like money a guy being knowledge for money or any number of sort of like barriers all they do is exist to stop you from getting what you need to like live it's re- it's really dark i mean you know I, I i i've requested a lot of like insurance company claim denials from from state governments from like state insurance commissioners over the last couple months and the stuff i've seen is like really just been just awful and depressing like all, all kinds of shit, but like may, maybe the worst part is just that if you work for like a a company that self funds its its plan, like um, that, that it's like administered by an insurance company, but it's it's funded by the company, um, you can't file a state complaint. Like the state takes a look at the file and says, "Yeah, no, sorry, this is not in our jurisdiction." So. Like it goes to the Department of Labor, and like Jesus Christ, good luck with that. Um, I, I, I've never, I, I can't imagine that goes well. Um, but yeah, it's and that's like that's generally the recourse you have is to file a complaint or to, you know, to get lucky that that a reporter, you know, like at the New York Times, you know, I mean, the New York Times and NPR and like Kaiser Health News, they, they all have been looking at like egregious hospital bills and stuff like that. Like that's your real recourse right now is if if you're fucked is that like hopefully hopefully you know a reporter uh, your story catches their eye and makes them you know makes them interested I, your only other recourse is GoFundMe but like you know if you look at the the first page of GoFundMe there's there's a lot of like hundred thousand dollar like success stories like people raised enough money to you know to to help to help cover their, you know, their, their fucking car wreck. I mean, that's, that's the way that so many people are in the worst shape is like, you know, like paralyzed from the waist down from a car accident. Um, if you, if you scroll past the first page, no one's like, they're not, not everyone is getting their, their GoFundMe. Like it's, it's sort of like Patreon, you know, it's not everyone's GoFundMe is being met. There's the, I read a really sad story in the Atlantic about this. Like all these people who are like, why didn't, you know, my kid, you know, like, did we not phrase this right? Like, is, is there a reason my kid didn't like draw enough like clicks to, to fund this campaign? It's really, it's really sad. Your, Your kid died because you're bad at SEO. Like that's oh like that's, you don't you, yeah. don't you don't want you don't want that on your kid's tombstone. You don't want to you don't want that Jesus, like Jesus. That's so dystopian. I mean, but it's where we are. Yeah. I know. It it sounds fucked up, but like it it's like we're being forced to dance and for like dance online for money for insulin, right? You know, like you know, like yeah. life, the livestock has some level of dignity, I imagine, as long as they're free range. It's like uh, the, the American people are more or less just consign themselves to begging online and wondering like why you know why gofundme hasn't done a more adequate job of replacing the social safety net that like has been eroded by yeah. again money interest again uh, money interest aligning uh either actively or just like accidentally against the a common man and it's like it's 
it, it, it thinking about the GoFundMe aspect of it is just like it's just incredibly techno dystopian, right? It's like, oh, you know, how do you like what's mm-hmm. the best angle for taking your you know your GoFundMe page when you need money for your kids' insulin? It's like, is there like an ideal lighting situation for that? Like, I, I there's gonna I, be consultants, how, dude. There's gonna be co- fucking consultants who are gonna take a piece. Yeah, that's what the next step is. I'm going to tell you right now, John, I don't even need to look this up. There are 100% already consultants that will help you write your kids GoFundMe medical. I'm, I'm Googling GoFundMe it. Medical. I, I, I can guarantee you at least one person does that. And, and all it takes is one person, and then suddenly it's an industry. Because, like, it, there must be somebody or right, already, like, you know, doing GoFundMe uh, consulting. Like, oh, you know, here's how you, you know, use the proper words. I mean, how is it any different than SEO consulting or copywriting, right? So, like, it's only a uh, jump from that to, like, hey, you know, here's how to raise the most money for your cancer treatment. Yeah. Yeah, there's it's soon there's it's going to be VC backed sooner, sooner than later. It's going to be McKinsey soon. You're, you're going to have like you're going to have uh, Pete Buttigieg show up at your door, fucking balding, <laughs> like talking, like asking him <laughs> to uh, asking for your computer password. Jesus, that's it is. I mean, like we're predicting it now. It's going to be a thing, but that's so fucked up. Um, yeah, I I I I have a hard time with this because you know, like I, I've recently lost loved ones to medical problems, and it, it's when you're going through that and then having someone come in with a bill and being like, here you go, it's just so fucked up. And then on top of it to know that like, okay, your their hospital's giving you a bill. Your insurance company is not going to pay for it. The, your politicians are actively working against you in Congress to make sure that you get fucked in this whole exchange to make it more extractive, to put profits more into the hands of like this very slim, which is now what 11% of GDP business that's increasingly financialized. And it's all tied together and it's all fucking gross. And uh, I, I guess that just brings me thinking about Liz Warren's response about why we want to defend the uh, defend Obamacare. You want to go into that, Andrew? Uh, yeah, sure. So I guess to oh god. So I guess she was on. I'm gonna guess that the David Axelrod podcast. And oh god. Fun story. I saw David Axelrod at um, the the health insurance lobby last oh, year too. Speaking with with Dana Perino on a on a panel, um, you know, getting getting asked really tough questions by whoever the insurance industry picked um, about, you know, just just to give a nice Washington update. Um, just just tell us what's happening in Washington, that that kind of just bullshit. Um, but, yeah, I guess so today, um, Warren, I guess it's it seems like everyone's saying that maybe she's like trying to get more in line with sort of what Biden's saying, but she's saying that she's that she argued for, you know, Medicare for all and like ultimately wants to get to single payer and that makes sense, but like, you know, um for now like the the way to get there is like strengthening the Affordable Care Act. Um you know, right right now that's what we should be doing right now. Um and yeah, I mean that I just found really infuriating. It's just it's just I feel like, um, you know, I think it, it seems like she's really kind of like humiliating herself to be Joe Biden's VP, which like probably not going to happen too, right? Is that, I don't know, that's just my guess is that like, you know, the party's not going to allow Liz Warren to be the, the nominee, like, you know, or the, the VP nominee, like, you know, to, to some of us, like she's probably not like, you know, maybe we don't trust her, but like, I don't think DC trusts her either. Like, I think they, I think they still see her as like a progressive. I mean, Liz Warren is the worst of both worlds. And I think honestly, I agree with you. I think that, I think that just the Democratic Party establishment 
has demanded that anybody at this point who has any level of like clout with the American people, any level of trust that hasn't been burned away by decades of effectlessness, any level of like a self-respect that they just burn it in order to get Joe Biden over the line. Because like, I mean, fair enough. Trump is a disaster. Like a lot of people, you know, are going to die under Trump that probably or may not die under Joe Biden. What that means in the long term, who knows? But, you know, a lot of people feel very strongly about that level of uh, damage mitigation and you know that it's that's calculus that you can't you can't argue with too deeply I suppose you know if people have right to feel that way but it's, it's just hard watching like everyone from AOC to Warren to like Bernie to whatever just prostrate themselves for like Joe like to to lend Joe Biden their legitimacy because no one with like two working brain cells would trust Joe Biden to like fucking like it's it sounds weird to say but you couldn't leave joe biden alone for like five days without him dying 100 <laughs> <laughs> do, do you do you think you can't no i think he makes it no. i think he makes it too no i'm 100 percent sure you have to water joe biden like a plant because like otherwise he will dehydrate and die like it, 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 that's just reality. I mean, I don't have time to debate that with 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 you. <laughs> I don't think the you're going to debate with us. Yeah, no, it sounds right. At the end of the day, though, like they're they're burning all this legitimacy. They're burning all this clout that they might have, you know, to sort of bring themselves more in line with the like the unpopular Democratic Party establishment. And at the end, like. Again, not only is Elizabeth Warren probably not going to be, you know, Joe Biden's VP pick. If if anyone, it might be Amy Klobuchar, maybe uh, Kamala Harris, or some other like maybe Tim Kaine. Who knows? I'm still holding out for Hillary Clinton. But <laughs> yeah, me too. The predictions are something we should avoid at this point because things are still very chaotic. So you don't want to seem stupid like by the time this comes out. But like, I, I just think that I, I can't imagine Joe Biden going on a debate stage or debating Donald Trump. Like, I can't. I can't even picture it in my head, which doesn't make it, it not going to happen. It's I just I just think it's much more likely that people will burn all of this clout to get Joe Biden some legitimacy. Joe Biden will be proven that you should not trust Joe Biden and they'll have to pull him anyway. And then all the progressives are going to have to have burned all this clout with it with the left base. The liberals won't remember anything because they never remember anything. And so, like, you will just have a bunch of uh, variously compromised people like Elizabeth Warren, Amy, Klo- I mean, not Amy Klobuchar, uh, AOC and Bernie. And like, I mean, like, that's just unfortunate but it seems to be the only way the democratic party knows how to operate with the left yeah no yeah i mean that's that's definitely the way i see it too it's i mean yeah like what what you're saying about joe biden being like a walking dead man is right like we can't you know the people close to him like have to know that um and you know do you think that like the 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 you know, party establishment is going to, for one minute, like risk, like a Trojan horse progressive being the, being the VP nominee. Like there's just, it, it's going to be someone everyone hates. I mean, yeah, of course. That's just, the... Yeah. You know, it's just like, if, if he's like, you know, on his deathbed, like it's, there's just no way, there's no way it's going to be anyone that progressives like. And I think, I don't know. It's, I think everyone should stop kidding themselves. <laughs> I mean, I, apparently, uh, John has found the GoFundMe consultancy. I will <laughs> yep. not click the link that he dropped in the chat because I, I'm just going to assume that it goes to a very dark place online. Yes, uh, it does. I don't want to be. But, uh, yeah, like, of course it exists because, like, you know, America is a hellscape and that's just what happens in hell. You shouldn't be surprised to find demons in hell. It's just <laughs> what it is there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Joe Biden, I think. And this goes back to, I guess, the overall theme of this episode, which is that, like, things being obscured by the mainstream media that, you know, ultimately, if you just 
paid the uh, even a, if well if you just give the people the information and don't actively obscure it but if you but if you're just presented with like just the basic facts the implications just be like they write themselves right you know if you're presented with the basic facts of you know big pharma giving money to politicians then yeah like it, it seems sketchy because it is sketchy because like it and, you know it's untoward it's the appearance of impropriety you know if you watch joe biden try to go give if you watch joe biden try to give a speech on television or tie his shoes or the ever popular you know party game draw a clock he just can't do any of those things <laughs> and but like so much of that is being obscured whether because or rather because of of you know a mixture of class interests or fear of trump or you know just general embarrassment about like or, or rather just general embarrassment about what that information means for the people it implicates who knows but like these things are actively being obscured so it's, it's hard i think it becomes even harder for people to uh come to the right conclusions because they're not even being presented with the full story the full context of joe biden the full context of medicare for all like the other battle for it most people don't even know they're in a battle and obviously that's a, just a common a common understanding when discussing class war and discussing the the 99% and discussing the proletariat versus the capitalist class but like it's just such a, a more it's just so true on very, basically just there are so many battlefronts rather that we're fighting that truth that like um sorry i burped i wasn't crying <laughs> there's so many uh there's so many battlefronts that we're confronting that truth that like it, it's frightening that people just are not being are not even realizing that oh yeah no like you're like you're fighting a, a war right now you're fighting a war for your health and for your family's future and you don't even know that there is a, a, another a, an adversary because and if you say there's an adversary the the media will look at you like you're crazy they go, they go oh like oh you think that you know lobbyists control washington it's like well, they do right I mean, do you think lobbyists yeah. control Washington, Andrew? Buddy, those are stakeholders. <laughs> <laughs> well, the I K mean, it's funny. Like, stands you, you for heard... caring. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I mean, you had Alec out there for years, writing, literally writing the laws and having politicians rubber stamp them, and nobody, like in Washington, thinks that that's a thing, even though they know it or think that's a problem. Yeah. Well, you know, so I mean, one of the one of the more fun things that I uncovered working with the Medicare for All group was. Um, like we we caught um this montana lobbyist just like outright ghostwriting materials for um for lawmakers that like was was coming he he was a lobbyist for or consultant for the partnership for america's healthcare future like the front group um created by the industry to oppose medicare for all they all have names like that i know yeah that's the thing right every every everything needs a nice benign name that sounds just like every other thing you've ever heard um, I mean, if you tell me you work for the Democracy Freedom Organization, I know that you killed me. <laughs> <laughs> and you were probably trained by uh, in the yeah. School of Americas at some point. That's part of why we named our, our group the Democratic Policy Center. Was I wanted to I wanted to take the playbook nice. and flip it on its head. Um, like you know, there's there's groups like the Progressive Policy Institute that literally it's like a fucking corporate think tank where they like it's a corporate funded think tank it's it, it's actually called the third way foundation no relation to third way but it's it's like the same type of same type of organization where it's like you know trying to trying to take corporate ideas and mainstream them and and to, and to push back against you know uh progressive policies like so yeah i figured like we might as well take that and just you know flip it <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know, like with a name like that, you could do anything. Uh, 
you know, I, I was a little bit worried when we had John. Like, oh, is this, is this another one of like these regime change organizations? <laughs> you know, has has democratic in it. When it when <laughs> right, were they, were this, what's his first job in Bolivia? Oh <laughs> uh, no, Bolivia is old news. We're back to Venezuela now. There's a, there's a crew, yeah. there's a, a new crew in Venezuela every week. We're running the hits. Well, I mean, we're we're also trying to do a coup, just a little a little different, more more of like a hostile takeover. I don't think you can do a coup of America anymore, just because like we're all dying now, <laughs> like from coronavirus, and so it's just like, uh, like Donald Trump is trying to start war with Iran or some shit, and I'm like, are people really going to be into that? Like when there's just like fifteen thousand Americans dying every week, is that like at home, like in the streets? It's like, is that Americans have a high tolerance for like bullshit if racism is involved, but like. Uh, you can't just have dead bodies littering the roads like and have people like ginned up to fight like the uh you know uh the ayatollah or whatever it's not 19 it's not 1980s anymore yeah well i mean they're trying you know the, the like the weirdo conservative groups are like are getting the the you know the the dumbest people in the fucking world to to go outside like maskless to be like man what about my freedom you know they're trying to do the like the the tea party revolt but but it's like it's not really working. Like polls show that people are scared shitless. Like people are scared shitless, and they don't want to go outside. Like they're gonna reopen all these restaurants, and no one's gonna fucking go. Right. And we talked about it on the time that this is not this this reopen is not a means of, of actually getting back to some type of normal. The plan is to reopen, kick people off of any type of benefit, whether it's unemployment or even a PPP loan, and then we're gonna have to close up again, and that yeah. option will be yeah, gone. Yeah, it's gonna be bad. Well, I mean, the part that frustrates me when, you know, talking about, like, the, you know, the effect that dark money has on our system and, like, the way it, to, to the detriment of, you know, most Americans, most most of the world, really, um, like, it's not only that, that that idea is treated as, like, a conspiracy uh, by the center-left, by the liberal circles, but that the concept of that, of, like, a group of people who are actively trying to, like, exert power over the government in a nefarious way, it just seems so outside of, like, liberal, uh, like, everyday mainstream, like, Democrat imagination that they, they just scoff at it. But, I mean, let, you know, let's do final thoughts. Cause I think we've, we've given people a lot to digest, and we're coming up on an hour already, including the <laughs> part of the show that I accidentally cut off. <laughs> so why don't, you know— Andrew, you share us with us what you guys plan on working on next in the Democratic Policy Center. Yeah, I mean, so we're going to keep pushing um, on this like effort to bail out lobbying groups um, because, you know, it's the House bill. The House stimulus bill is probably not going anywhere, but you could easily see uh, Mitch McConnell putting together a package with with Nancy Pelosi. That's, you know, like uh, some some form of limited liability for uh, all. A, a limited immunity for all businesses uh, to make sure they can't get sued by their customers and um, and workers, you know, plus um, a big, big fucking bailout for, for lobbying groups. Um, and, and there actually, there's also been like already like 20 senators or 20, 23 senators who have at least publicly sort of endorsed this concept. Um, so that's, you know, that's sort of the first and foremost what we're going to be working on. But I mean, really, we want to like build out the the organization. We want to, and we want to focus, you know, on Medicare for all, and also like around climate change. So that's sort of what we're looking to do. And we want to, you know, we want to push back really on the industry, um, you know, to the to the extent we can. Just because, yeah, it's it's something that I think people, you know, when they hear about it, they don't like it, but they have to hear about it first. So we're we're going to be pushing. 
that, that's that's exactly the same thing. That, that's that's <laughs> about my show too. When people hear it, they don't like it, but I'm, they still have to listen to it. But uh, thank you uh, for joining us, Andrew. Why don't you tell people where they can keep up with you in the work of the Democratic Freedom Institute for <laughs> Policy? It's uh, it's actually the National Democratic Institute, um, which. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. That's that's a Warhawk think tank. I'm sorry. Um, it's the National Health Democracy Freedom <laughs> Fund for orphans. Yeah, left out choice for uh, marbled children. Um, you know, to, the partnership for, for democratic equality through choice in a free market. Uh, okay, so it's this is just like if you got the world's worst magnetic poetry <laughs> on your fridge, like the Washington Post, the magnetic like magnetic poetry. <laughs> uh, okay, so it's uh, the group's called the Democratic Policy Center. Our website is dempolicy.com, and the handle is at dempolicy. And my own Twitter handle is Andrew Perez DC. I might not be in DC anymore, but I'm not losing my blue check. I will not do it. 